invite you to turn then in God's word to the book of Colossians. Again this morning, Colossians chapter 3, we're going to pick it up at verse 15, Colossians 3, 15, and then we're going to read through the fourth verse of Colossians 4. Colossians 3, 15 through 4, verse 4. Let us hear then the very breathed out word of God. And let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which indeed you were called in one body, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom, singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thankfulness in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father through him. Wives, submit to your husbands as is fitting in the Lord. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. Children, obey your parents in everything, for this pleases the Lord. Fathers, do not provoke your children, lest they become discouraged. Bondservants, obey in everything those who are your earthly masters, not by way of eye service as people pleasers, but with sincerity of heart, fearing the Lord. Whatever you do, work heartily as for the Lord and not for men, knowing that from the Lord you will receive an inheritance as your reward. You are serving the Lord Christ, for the wrongdoer will be paid back for the wrong he has done, and there is no partiality. Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. At the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. Thus far the reading of God's word. Let's again ask for God's blessing upon it. Father, I think that in these past few weeks, in the study of Colossians, it has become very obvious to us, as important as this word was as presented to the church at Colossia so many years ago, it's just as important to us in today. The world may have changed in all these years, but your scriptures do not. We thank you so much. And ask for the blessing on Pastor Bob as he now presents his message to us. And we ask that you open our ears and our hearts and our minds and receive this blessing of your word. Thank you. Amen. And amen. So as we dive into this particular passage, verses 2 through 4 of Colossians 4 this morning, I've entitled it Sanctified Prayer. Because you see, that's where Paul is in the book of Colossians. He's 
describing for us, he's teaching us, he's commanding us, he's admonishing us, he is giving to us God's will for our lives as those who are sanctified in Jesus Christ. This morning in our responsive reading, we read about what it means to be justified. Next Lord's Day, the Lord willing, we'll follow it up with the very next article from the Belgic that talks about sanctification and how we are to live as God's people. That's what Paul's theme is here. He's telling the the church at Colossae, and as our brother just prayed, uh, telling us and instructing us, what does it mean to really come to Christ? What does it mean that Christ has justified you. Well, justification, being justified, always leads to our being sanctified. This was Paul's reminder to us as well in Romans chapter 8, in that golden chain. It's Paul's reminder throughout the New Testament that one who is justified by Jesus Christ, cleansed from all their sins, now with the power of that indwelling spirit in their hearts and lives, is called to a new obedience. An obedience that is, that is not a works righteousness, that is not a means by which, well, this is what I have to do to have my sins forgiven, but is how we live be out of thankfulness and out of gratitude for that which the Lord Jesus Christ has done. So he's told the the Colossians and us, there are certain things you now have to put off. There are certain lifestyles that are no longer to be yours. There are certain attitudes. There's a certain framework of, of our depravity as human beings, of sinfulness that now we have to discard and we have to wear those righteous robes of Christ that we have been given in this glorious exchange. We are to live lives of holiness. And so Paul began with that by put on then, verse 12, right? Put on then as God's chosen. What? Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, patience. He, he commanded us as we start in verse 15 this morning in our text that, that we are to be people that have peace ruling in our hearts. A peace of, the, of assurance, a peace of hope that we have from Jesus Christ. And we're to live, how? As thankful people. Then Paul says, okay, now let's take that sanctified life. How does that apply to your relationships? Well, as a wife, how does that apply to your relationship? As a husband, how does that apply? As a child, how does it apply? As a parent, as a father, how does it apply? As a bondservant, how does it apply? As a master, how does it apply? Out of thankfulness, you see, 15 through 17, how do we live in all of these relationships? Now Paul is continuing on that. He hasn't left that. He's saying, okay, that's how we live sanctified relationships. How do we live each day? Now, Now with the attitudes that are necessary, he's already given us that back in chapter 3, 12 and following. Now it's how do, how do we live 
a sanctified life, not, not, not in our relationships, I've already dealt that, but in everyday living. And the first thing, the first thing that the Holy Spirit brings before us is prayer. Prayer is the mark of a sanctified life. It, it's the sign of the Holy Spirit's indwelling presence. That there is a desire to pray. I've broken these verses down into five things. First, sanctified prayer is continual. Secondly, sanctified prayer is watchful. Thirdly, sanctified prayer is thankful. Fourth, sanctified prayer is specific. And fifth, sanctified prayer is Christ-centered, or if you want the more technical term, Christocentric, simply meaning Christ-centered. Let's go through each of those. First, sanctified prayer is continual. Verse 2, continue steadfastly in prayer. The Greek word that Paul uses there, proskartereo, carries with it all of the following ideas. It means to be devoted to prayer. A sanctified person is a person who is devoted to prayer. Now think of how we, we use that term, right? We, we talk about having devotions. What do we mean by that? Well, generally, okay, we mean by devotions ongoing Continual, daily, those of us who grew up in old Dutch Reformed homes know it meant a morning devotion, it meant an evening devotion, it meant every time we were at a, a supper table, God's word was read and we prayed. Which was a good example to set, but perhaps it was a little too stiff in the fact that we, we became a little bit entrenched and these are the times we pray. And, and the idea of a devotional life, a time of reading the word on one's own, the time of praying on one's own, of starting the day, what wasn't there. It's a little bit more that way today. That's more the understanding of it. And oftentimes the problem is today with, with that perhaps good understanding of a devotional life, we've chucked the meal time. We've chucked that time of family devotions. But you notice what Paul says. Paul doesn't say, oh yeah, pray at specific times. Pray at certain times during the day. Every time you have a plate of food, make sure you pray. Notice what Paul says. Paul says, continue steadfastly. Yes, to be devoted, but it also means to be constant. It means to persist. It means to persevere. We all know there are times when it's difficult to pray. We all know that our lives get busy. Paul says, forge through it. Persevere. Carry on that conversation with me. Persevere. 
to it. Or as the ESV translates the Greek term, steadfastly. Let nothing move you from the desire and the engagement of prayer. If you go back to Luke chapter 18, verse 1, Jesus began a a very interesting parable about prayer with these words. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. See, that's what we do, right? We, we pray and it didn't happen, so we kind of pray a little less and we pray a little less and we pray a little less and pretty soon we're not even praying about that particular thing anymore. Jesus told a specific parable for the purpose of the fact that we should always pray and not lose heart. The title in, in English that we give to that parable is the persistent widow. Jesus is using that example of her coming to that judge over and over and over and over again as to how we should then persist in prayer. Always to pray and not give up. Paul in Romans chapter 12, 12 wrote, be constant in prayer. In Ephesians 16, 6, 18, Paul says, praying at all times. See, the mark of the Holy Spirit in our hearts and in our lives is praying steadfastly, persistently, ongoing, persevering. That prayer becomes part of our existence. Part It becomes a part of our lives as much as sitting down at the table and having breakfast, as much as having a cup of coffee, as much as anything we do in life, even more so, that prayer is that part. You say, well, why is prayer, why is that? Because a sanctified person is what? It's a person with the Holy Spirit. And it is the Holy Spirit's desire to pray. It's the Holy Spirit moving and working within us. That's why Paul is always telling us, don't quench the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit wants to pray. Don't quench Him. The Holy Spirit desires to pray. Don't quench it. The Holy Spirit has a desire to pray for the adoration of the Father and the Son. For the work of the kingdom. And that Holy Spirit lives within each and every one of us as a believer in Jesus Christ. 
You can't be a believer in Jesus Christ without the Holy Spirit in your heart and in your life. Are there seasons we go through? Yes. But we should never accept that as normal. We should never accept that as right. Oh, I'm going through a season, so I guess it's okay. I don't pray. No. Because the Holy Spirit doesn't go through a season in which he does not desire to adore the Father and the Son. So we have to persevere. We have to persist. We have to be steadfast in praying. Secondly, note, go back to Colossians chapter 4. Continually, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Being watchful in prayer. That seems, it's interesting sometimes the terms that get used and how we might think about this, right? Okay, because what do we always do when we pray? What, what do we teach our children when they're little? What do we teach them? Now, close your eyes. So if I close my eyes, how can I be watchful? Right? It seems like a contradiction. If I close my eyes and I'm not looking, how then can I be watchful? Because the watchful that Paul is talking here is an alertness. An alertness to not only what you are doing when you pray, but an alertness about your prayer. The Greek word that Paul uses here is the word Gregorio. We get a Christian name from that. Gregory. Gregory means to be watchful, to be alert. What is it that Paul is saying we ought to be alert to? What are, what are we to be watchful for? Are, are we to be watchful that, uh, oh, the toaster's up. I guess I better finish my prayer. My toast is done. My leg ego came up out of the toaster. I'm kind of hungry. Oh, thank you, Jesus, for my meal. Amen. Oh, oh, I see it. It's 7.57, and I got I to gotta be going. I, I, I got to shave yet, and I got to be at that appointment. Okay, is that the watchfulness and alertness? No. What Paul is talking about is an alertness and watchfulness for others. Being watchful, being alert to what? To that which is happening in the world and in the lives of believers around us. It's to be alert to the needs of others. Now think about that. Think about that in terms of prayer. Because I would imagine, I'll raise my hand too, that the vast majority of us are pretty self-focused when it comes to prayer. I imagine the word I appears a lot in our prayers. 
That's not really being alert. That's not really being watchful. Oftentimes, that's being self-absorbed. Oh, there is one aspect. There is one aspect in which we need to be alert in regards to ourselves. And that's sins playing upon our minds. And that's sins playing upon our heart. Oh, Lord, guard my heart. Lord, guard my mind. Guard my thoughts. Guard my lips. Guard my actions. Lord, may I live a life of praise to you. Lord, keep me from sin. Yes, in that respect, alert. Alert to the dangers, alert to the temptations that Satan loves to dangle before us in life. The temptations that Satan uses to lure us in. Yes, we need to be in prayer. But we need to see others. We need to see that which is going on in the lives of others. Be alert. Be fully awake. As a military guard, be looking out. See, a military guard is not there guarding their life. Nobody goes on guard duty to watch their life. They go on guard duty to watch the lives of others. That's what they're there to do. That's what they're there to protect. Are they involved in that? Sure, but, but that's not the important part. Well, no, no. You know, some guy who's on guard duty falls asleep and the sergeant or captain comes up and he rouses him. What are you doing? That guy, that, that captain, is not concerned about, hey, an enemy may come along and shoot you. Well, you kind of deserve it. You fell asleep. His concern is the fact that man's job was to be looking out for others, to be alert, to be on guard. Why, why do you suppose, not sure we even do this anymore in this day and age, but why do you suppose at a prison we have a guardhouse and a guy standing up there? You think that guy's on guard because he's scared some prisoners going to climb up into that tower and get him? Of course not. He's a guard to protect that individual, that criminal, from getting back out into society and doing harm to others. Be on guard. Be watchful. This is what Paul is saying is part of a sanctified life. It is less self-focused and more other-focused. Thirdly, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Isn't it interesting? Back in the, where I started reading, back in verse 15 of chapter 3, three times, Paul in that section saying, 
You put on Christ. You put on the robes of Christ. What are part of the robes of Christ? Thankfulness. Be thankful. Be thankful. Be thankful. Now, out of that thankfulness, be a Christian wife. Out of that thankfulness, be a Christian husband. Out of that thankfulness, be a Christian child. Out of that thankfulness, be a Christian father. Out of that thankfulness, be a Christian bondservant. Out of that thankfulness, be a Christian master. Now comes the bracket. In all that we do, be thankful. And do that in prayer. Be thankful. Express gratitude to God for today, for this moment, for this time. This, you see, is coming from the mouth of a man who is in prison. This is not coming from somebody who is living a life of ease. Paul is saying that thankfulness is in spite of circumstances and in spite of situations of life. Gratitude. Why? Because we know that in all things, as hard as it is for us to comprehend, in all things, God is at work for the good of those who love him, conforming us to the glorious image of his son. So Paul's sitting there in prison. He's going, I can thank God for this. Because I know this is a means by which God is transforming me into the glorious image of his son. Now where does that come from? How, how can you pray that way? The Holy Spirit that lives within us. Because the Holy Spirit's goal and purpose is to glorify Christ. And he knows that indwelling spirit that lives within us knows that the Father is providentially only bringing into our lives those things that are going to bring us closer to the image of Christ. And you know what? The Spirit's like, yes, yes! But I'm sitting in a prison and the Spirit's going, yes! Because I know Christ is going to be glorified. This is the, what sanctified prayer is. See, oftentimes when we pray, it's Lord, get me out of this. Lord, get me out of this mess. Lord, get me out of this situation. Lord, get me to where it can be a little easier for me. Get, 
Lord, that Lord, move this situation, change this situation, change this, Lord, because I'm uncomfortable where I am. Well, of course, sometimes it is uncomfortable when God has to conform us to Christ. Because some of us are such stubborn Dutchmen, we refuse to get it the first, second, third, fourth time. So sometimes it's hard. And the Holy Spirit's going, you're conforming them to the glorious image of Christ. And that prayer of the Spirit arising out of our own hearts, arising out of our own souls, coming forth from our own mouths, is an expression of praise and thankfulness to God. That's sanctified prayer. It's thankful prayer. Seeing God's blessings, seeing God's goodness. Sanctified prayer is also specific. At the same time, verse 3, pray also for us. Pray also for us. At the same time, Paul is urging those who are the believers there in this church at Colossa, pray for us. It's specific. There is a specific request that comes from the apostle Paul to the believers there in Colossa to pray for us. Who's the us? Who is Paul requesting prayer for? Well, us means Paul. He has to be one of them. Pray for us. But who else? Because us implies there's more than one. Well, if we go back to Colossians 1.1, we know who else is there. We know Timothy is there. Paul says, I'm writing this letter, okay, and, and with me is Timothy. Pray for us. Are there more? Oh, yeah, there's lots more. Go down with me to verse 7 of chapter 4. Tychius will tell you all about my activities. He's a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I have sent him to you for this purpose, that you may know how you are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him... Zenissimus, our faithful and beloved brother, who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place. Articius, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instruction, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Oh, Ephaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Jesus Christ, greets you, always struggling on you in behalf of his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas, Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and so on. There are many with him. He's not alone. And yet he prays. Specifically, pray for us. Let me ask you a question. How specific are your prayers? 
I'll even, I'll even go a step further. Have you prayed for me recently? No, not be with our pastor. That's pretty generic. Your pastor has a name. His name's Bob. Have, have you prayed for your pastor? See, in some ways we go, Hi, boy, Bob, how dare you? Apostle Paul said, pray for us. Have you prayed? Have you prayed for the elders and deacons? Do you pray for them by name? Are you specific? Every month, the New Horizons comes out. It's got a prayer calendar. Every day, there are names of individuals, of missionaries, of workers. Do you pray specifically? See, that's part of sanctified praying. Lord willing, by the time we come to church tonight, all those these that are sitting in the back are going to be gone and many of us will begin a new habit. Praying specifically for these folks. How about organizations? By name. Do you pray for Pastor George Workema at Matthew's house? By name? I'm always impressed when you know, I, I visit an older member of the church and they'll have a list next to their Bible and it's a list of their grandchildren and of their great-grandchildren and they pray for them by name. See, I think we, I include myself, we have gotten kind of lazy with prayer. We get kind of general. We, 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 we just kind of cover all the bases. Be with all the missionaries. Well, that's nice. I'm glad we pray for the missionaries, but those missionaries have names. Who are they? See, that's why congregational prayer takes so long. Yeah, it's a long prayer. Boy, I really wish we'd cut that down by 10 minutes. Really? Isn't part of sanctified praying the fact that we pray as the body of Christ specifically for individuals, not generically for people? And if we get sloppy with it, with church, we're going to become sloppy with it and lazy with it as individuals. Pray specifically because that's, that's sanctified praying. Our prayers ought to sound a whole lot different than the person off the street or at a podium at a convention who says, let's pray for one another in some generic cultural type religion. We're those who are filled with the Holy Spirit. And the final thing that Paul says, 
is that that prayer is to be about Christ. At the same time, pray also for us. What about us? What specifically are we praying for? Oh, pray that my chains might be loosed. No. No. Pray that God may open to us a door for the word. To declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That I may make it clear which is how I ought to speak. Sanctified prayer is Christ-centered. And it's weighted. It's weighted. It's balanced. It's weight. If you put this on the balance, then, then the weight of sanctified praying goes on the side that is Christ-centered. Christ-centered in the sense that we pray for open doors for the gospel. Paul's not praying for release from prison. Paul's not praying, get me out of here. Paul's not saying, hey, church at Colossae, you guys need to be praying a little more that I get out of jail so that the gospel can go forth. No, Paul's prayer is this. In the midst of a closed prison cell, give me opportunities for the gospel. Pray that as the walls of the prison hold me in, that the gospel goes forth with power and might. Pray that the word might go forth, that individuals' hearts might be transformed and changed by the grace of God. Praying that the message of salvation might Pour out. Praying that the mystery of Christ might be known. Isn't that interesting? He prays that the mystery of Christ. Think about this. He's, he's sitting there praying and he's asking for prayers. Would you please pray for me that while I'm in prison, God might give me the opportunities to proclaim the mystery of Christ. One of Paul's favorite phrases uses it 21 times in his writings in the New Testament. This idea of the mystery of Christ. What is the mystery of Christ? Where does one not see mystery? Where where can one figure out Christ? Right? The Trinity, the divinity of Christ, the humanity of Christ, the love, the grace of Christ, the cross, the resurrection, the ascension, the intersection, the reign, the coming, the majesty of Christ. I think Paul's prayer is simply this. 
pray that I will continually be in awe of Christ as I bring the gospel. Not that I've got it all figured out. Not that I've got it all, here's my pitch line. Here it is. I know this works. Here's my six steps to presenting Christ to an unbeliever. I think what Paul is praying is this. Lord, when I have the opportunity, when you open the door and give me an opportunity to present the gospel, Lord, may I always be in awe of that gospel. Because you see, when we're in awe of the gospel, it's going to be real. It's going to be genuine. When we realize God's grace upon our lives, Right? That's our hymn, right? Amazing Grace. Who's it written by? By a former slave trader. What is he? He's always amazed by grace. The moment we stop being amazed by the mystery of Christ, we will no longer be effective and powerful tools for the proclamation of the gospel. Pray. Pray. Paul says that, that I have the opportunities and that the mystery of Christ, oh, that I never get bored, that I'm never dulled, that I'm never sleepy, that I'm just so matter of fact about Christ. Oh Lord, may there always be that sense of awe, that sense of mystery. Father, as Paul, as Paul, this is what Paul is asking for from the church of Colossa. Lord, may Paul always be filled with the amazement of Christ. So that as he proclaims and as you give him the opportunities to proclaim Christ, you open the door of opportunity for the gospel that it will be real that it will be genuine, that it's not a work, it's not a labor, it's not a task. It is a blessing. And pray that I may do so, Paul says, clearly. Clearly. Not, not muddled, not mixed, not incomplete, not, not for the fear of men or not, not that I'm going to wimp out and not say something because I'm afraid of how this person is going to respond. But clearly, that, that I may present Christ as Christ deserves to be presented. Now let me ask you a question. Does the Holy Spirit that resides within us, whose desire and goal is to glorify Christ, what do you suppose the Holy Spirit does with the prayer of a person who prays, Lord, may the gospel that is proclaimed by Pastor Bob, may the gospel that is proclaimed by our elders, by our deacons. May the gospel that is proclaimed by Dr. Tim as he goes to preach and teach. 
Do you think the Holy Spirit's going to? No, I don't want to do that. I, 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 nah. I don't want Christ presented clearly. Or is the Holy Spirit going, yes! Of course I'll answer that prayer. Because it glorifies Christ. Sanctified praying. And God's people say, Father, thank you again for your word of instruction, a word of challenge, a word of comfort. Father, I thank you. For I know that in this audience that is here, this congregation that is present physically here this morning, those, Father, who are watching live stream, those from our own congregation and those from beyond our membership. Father, there are many, there are many who are sanctified prayers. Encourage them. Encourage them in their prayer life. Perhaps there's others, Father, of us who need to be challenged by this word, who need to be brought up front, who need to be brought to our feet, brought to our toes, brought to attention of the work that lies before us as sanctified believers in Jesus Christ. Father, we do pray. We do pray for open opportunities that the mystery of Christ might be declared clearly. For Lord, as we watch, as we read, we see the darkness of this world. And the light, the light is not the United States. The light of the world is Jesus Christ. And it's he who needs to be boldly proclaimed to all the corners of this world. Oh, Holy Spirit, take these prayers and fulfill them in Christ. In his name, God's people say, amen.